Greetings from the far-flung offices of McDermott, Will, and Emery. Happy Passover and good Holy Week to those who are celebrating. I'm Eric Zimmerman. I'm a partner in the offices of McDermott, Will, and Emery. I'm also head of the Health Law Practice Group and a principal at McDermott Plus Consulting. In this fast-moving, ever-evolving news cycle of a global pandemic, it's easy to feel either overwhelmed or underinformed. And that's why we've created the Friday News Flash, the coronavirus health law briefing highlights from this week's news in 10 minutes or less. Topping the news this week is the release today of $30 billion from the US Department of Health and Human Services of the Public Health and Social Services Emergency Fund. This was a piece of the $100 billion made available through the CARES Act. Earlier this week, after much clamoring from healthcare providers, desperate for those funds, the administrator of CMS signaled that funds would be available this week. True to her word, funds were deposited, direct deposited, in accounts of nearly 500,000 healthcare providers, hospitals, nursing facilities, long-term care hospitals, physicians, and others, early this morning. Simultaneously, HHS posted instructions on the website for how providers can keep and utilize these funds, as well as expectations around funds in the future. Most notably, the amounts made available will require an attestation by providers who want to keep the funds. The attestation portal that providers will use to make this certification will not be available to next, until next week. In the meantime, providers should look very carefully at the terms and conditions that will be expected uh, for the attestation from providers. There are a number of very serious considerations as part of the terms and conditions which should not be taken lightly. For example, there is a prohibition on balanced billing. There is a requirement that providers be currently providing diagnosis testing or care of patients with possible or actual coronavirus. And there are reporting obligations that will be imposed upon providers. We are examining these terms and conditions and we can provide additional clarification and understanding and help you evaluate these terms. And I can assure you that the provider community will be looking for more latitude and clarification from HHS in the coming weeks. Also in the news this week, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services began issuing payments under the Accelerated and Advanced Payment Program. Additional latitudes to that program were provided by the CARES Act last month. Under this program, providers may apply for advanced Medicare payments based on periods of 2019 Medicare payment experience. The application process is fairly straightforward. It's a one-page application. It's available on the websites of Medicare administrative contractors. But some of the issues that providers must attest to should not be taken lightly. There are a number of very serious considerations, including program integrity and bankruptcy-related certifications. Under the Advanced and Accelerated Payment Program, 
Hospitals may receive up to 100% of their Medicare payments for the six month period, the last half of 2019. Critical access hospitals may receive up to 125% of their payments and other provider types, including physicians, surgery centers and the likes can also receive up to 100% of their Medicare payments for the three month period in the last quarter of 2019. Payments will begin to be subject to automatic recoupment after 120 days after receiving the payment. And then hospitals will have up to one year in order to make full repayment. Everybody else will have 210 days to begin making full repayment. If full payment is not made by the end of the recoupment period, then amounts can be subject to very high interest rates based on the treasury rate, which presently is about 10.25%. You can count on providers to be pushing not only for adjustments to the, to the interest rate, but also forgiveness of the amounts that are made available under this program. The HHS Office of Inspector General this week also issued guidance to accompany previous guidance from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services that offered 18 different waivers from the Stark Law, the Federal Physician Self-Referral Law on financial relationships related to COVID. These waivers include waivers from fair market value requirements, location tests, and non-monetary remuneration tests. When the purpose of deviating from the law is related to diagnosing, securing services, addressing business disruptions. HHS IG followed with a policy statement noting that it will not impose administrative sanctions under the anti-kickback statute for remuneration covered by the 18 Stark Law waivers. Also this week, CMS issued additional guidance providing additional flexibilities on the use of telehealth in providing services. Three bills were enacted in March, including in the CARES Act, that provided additional degrees of regulatory flexibility as well as financial support for using telehealth services as an alternative to providing care. Some of the actions taken this week by CMS clarify provisions that were part of the CARES legislation as well as the other bills and provide additional flexibilities. Regrettably, many states while they have taken steps to also facilitate the use of telehealth, still have a patchwork approach to some of the provisions, including most notably licensing provisions as well as reimbursement. It's important that you take a look not just at the federal waivers, but also the state laws that are applicable to use of telehealth in your jurisdiction. Finally, in the news this week, FDA also stepped up to the plate and made it easier for providers to serve patients with coronavirus. FDA announced additional flexibilities around the use of personal protective equipment, including masks, shields, filtering respirators, and ventilators. Specifically, providers may distribute certain non-FDA cleared, non-medical face masks and respirators when no other alternatives are available. When FDA cleared or NIOSH approved N95 respirators are not available, 
the FDA will not object to importation and use of alternative respirators, such as the KN95 respirators that are on CDC's list of respirator alternatives. Additionally, FDA also issued new guidance regarding gowns, gloves, and other apparel, as well as a policy for sterilizers, disinfectant devices, and air purifiers. Providers may distribute improvised, non-FDA cleared gowns, gloves, and surgical apparel when no alternatives are available. And finally, FDA also stated that manufacturers may also distribute these products without complying with certain requirements as long as they continue to meet labeling and technical and safety requirements. That will do it for the Friday News Flash for this week. Those are the highlights in coronavirus health law news for the week. For additional information or in-depth analysis about any of the topics we discussed, please visit our website where you will see a resource center with many resources that are available and helpful to you as you navigate these challenging and fast moving times. Please join us again next Friday for another edition of the Friday News Flash. In the meantime, thank you to our clients on the front lines. We appreciate you and all that you're doing and to everyone, stay healthy. General information purposes only and should not be considered as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon information given without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott and Emory makes no warranty representations or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and Emory presents a charge expressly disclaiming all liability. Any person in respect of the consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon these contents, including herein, copyright 2020, McDermott and Emory, all rights reserved, any use of these materials under the reproduction of the agency's provision or republication of the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.